Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. so crazy about it's just music Shirley Collins combined folk traditions with innovative arrangements paving the way for the English folk revival and after a nearly 40-year hiatus she's back with a new album I'm Greg Cott and I'm Jim DeRogatis the influential folk singer Shirley Collins talks to us about her career and collecting field recordings with Alan Lomax Plus, we'll review the new albums from Japan Droids and Ty Siegel. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and uh, later on in the show, Jim, we are going to bring The Rock with record reviews. (laughs) Uh, Two new albums from uh, Japan Droids and Ty Siegel. That's later in the show. But first, we're going to talk to Shirley Collins. She's best known in the UK, but she has become a major influence on a new generation of musicians. Come all you young fellows that Shirley studied English folk music as a teenager, fell in love with those sounds, and started her recording career in 1958. She's since made more than 20 albums. In 1959, she also traveled throughout the South with Alan Lomax, the master of field recordings, getting on tape, often for the first time, the likes of Mississippi Fred McDowell, Almeida Riddle, and Hobart Smith. Yes, Jim, and, you know, she was very deeply rooted in these rural folk traditions, more so than some of her U.K. contemporaries. But at the same time, I think what really made her so influential was the way she was uh, innovating in her arrangements. She was bringing in elements of jazz, Renaissance music, Indian music, psychedelia. But she stopped recording music in 1978, uh, suffering for decades from a vocal condition called dysphonia. She finally released her first album in nearly 40 years in 2016 called Lodestar. It's an honor to welcome Shirley Collins to Sound Opinions. Thank you. Shirley, I want to start with your approach to singing. characterizes not, never overselling a song, no histrionics, straightforward, but, but also very beautiful. And that was an intentional style. Why was that? Well, I think it's partly because of my own background with um, grandparents who sang to my sister Dolly and me during the war when we were in their air raid shelter. And they always sang straightforwardly. And as I sort of progressed into learning more about traditional music, both English and American, um, and the field recordings, those old singers, you know, they just sing the song straight. They're not selling you a song. They're singing it to you rather than at you. And I've, I've always just loved that way, that they allow you to sort of hear the song and, and, and make up your mind about it and about what's happening in it, you know, these often bloodthirsty events. And I'm often quite embarrassed, really, when people do dramatise the songs or, or just sell them a bit too hard. It just doesn't sit right with this sort of music, in my opinion. Come in, 
it's been three quarters of a long year or more since I spoke one word to thee. So you don't believe in holding a note for 35 seconds and, oh. uh, you know, we, we have some national anthem singers here in America that it, that, that it seems to be more about them than the song. But, and with you, it seems to be exactly the opposite. Thank you. Um, that's how I'd like it. But yes, I agree about, um, about this note holding. They haven't even established the tune or the melody before they start taking off, you know, into mm. vast leaps. And it, I just think, what's the point? You know, we want to know what this melody is. And it just, it's sort of exaggerated. I think it's just showing off as well. You know, Shirley, in recent years, there has been an incredible revival of interest in your music among, for lack of a better word, hipsters. <laughs> it was round and about last Martinmas tide when the green leaves were swelling that a young Jimmy Grove of the West Country fell in love with Barbree Allen. We had the wonderful Colin Malloy of the Decemberists. Oh, He's been on our show two or three times. Yes. He talked for 25 minutes about Shirley Collins. And, of course, he made an EP covering your songs, and many people have been discovering, you know, people who are one-third or one-quarter your age been discovering your music. You know, how does that make you feel? Was that getting back to you that all of a sudden... Uh, you know, people are fascinated with these recordings you made in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Well, yes, it was getting back to me, and it was just, it was wonderfully encouraging in one way, and it sort of made me so sorrowful in another way because I didn't think I would ever sing again, but it was lovely to be remembered and to, you know, be something of an influence on, on younger singers. And it's a surprise as well, you know, because my music is sort of quite individual and, and not showy and I'm you know I'm used to people being a bit ambivalent about it you know um, they they're not mm. sure whether it's the sort of music they like or not but then it's sort of changing you know people seem to be sure now that um, that they, they quite like it and I think because it's honest music and I think because I choose really good songs to sing uh, if that doesn't sound too vain and because I think, <laughs> I think, I hope that they trust me and trust the sincerity of it all. Yeah, I think that comes across, Shirley. It's quite an array of admirers you've, you've got from, you know, contemporary generations. You know, Jim mentioned Colin Malloy, you know, Graham Coxon, Jeff Tweedy, yes. Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead, Angel Olsen. The blacksmith courted me nine months or better. He fairly won my heart, wrote me a letter. There have been tribute albums, there have been uh, covers albums recorded of, of Shirley Collins songs, all the while, uh, while you, in, during this period when you were not recording. But I think a lot of these uh, people um, heard not only the purity in your voice and sincerity in it, but also the fact that you were doing something new with a very ancient tradition. I think you go back to a record like uh, Folk Roots and New Roots from 1964 that you did with guitarist Davy Graham. Davey, yes. It was a very forward-thinking record for that time. You were combining these ancient songs 
with these very contemporary-sounding jazz folk arrangements. In fact, arrangements that were ahead of their time in many ways, laying the foundation uh, for future generations of artists to emulate. So you're basically laying the foundation for the entire English folk revival. My dearest, time draws near When you and I must part And no one knows the inner grief Of my poor aching heart Just to see what I've suffered For your sake You who I love so What was your thinking going into these kind of recording sessions where did you feel consciously that you wanted to do something new uh, with this tradition? No, I don't think it quite happened like that. Um, I was always, I mean, once I'd heard Davy play, for instance, then I knew that um, it would be a great opportunity to record with him. And because he understands music so well, too, although he plays a lot of different things, he plays jazz, which I frankly don't like very much. I, I don't like jazz at all. Um, you, you don't go into a studio thinking you're going to do something different, but what happens when you're there is that something does happen, you know, and, and then later you're aware that, that you know, something has tripped a bit and that you've moved forward and, and pushed the music into a different direction, but without actually spoiling the songs at all or altering the songs. Just the accompaniments... Um, you know, have changed. Since you have made a gun for me Among the summer flowers So I will make a suit for thee Among the winter shower showers Among the winter showers Another innovative area in your music was the use of those early Renaissance-style instruments. Uh, those arrangements are often written by your older sister, Dolly, who was an organist and pianist. Yes. And she was a collaborator with you on some of your finest recordings. I'm thinking of something like uh, Anthems in Eden in 1969. What was your relationship like with Dolly? Oh, because she seemed to be reading your mind and vice yes. versa. No, we were. There was just a couple of years between us, and we were very close. Um, we grew up during wartime Hastings, and we were always together. Um, whether we were out in the countryside walking to get away from the bombs and things, or we were hmm. just just the best of sisters, and we both had this same upbringing, of course, and that we both believed in. English music for some reason you know it seemed to have been born in us that this was the music that we treasured most and Dolly learned composition she studied under a composer Alan Bush and when I asked her first to write some arrangements for me to sing to you know it was just the most it was a lovely opportunity for Dolly as well because then she could get cracking on on writing some decent stuff and Working with her was a great pleasure. There was always lots of laughter as well, although a lot of the songs are so serious. Um, mm -hmm. we, there was just so much laughter and, and fun, and um, and whenever she wrote a new arrangement, she just played the first line, and I knew exactly where to come in. You know, it was just 
she, yes, she, she read my mind, I think, and she understood all these songs so well. Are you going to leave me, love? Are you going to leave me? Would you give up your own love true to go with a girl you never knew? And we both loved early music as well. We both loved the the sort of rough, unsophisticated sound of those old in- instruments, which I think really, you know, f- suit the songs. They fit well with them. Surely a lot of your fans point to No Roses from 1971 as the album to start with. Um, That one was recorded with an ensemble of 25 musicians, had members of Fairport Convention and Steel Eye Span, even jazz saxophonists. Was there something special about that record? Yeah, I guess there was. Um, I mean, to have Richard Thompson on it for a start and people like Simon Nichol, it was just such a wealth of of talent there playing um, the arrangements. It was a happy, happy album to make. You know, people came into the studio and played their bit and then wanted to stay and, and, you know, join in on a bit more. The songs are wonderful on it. Um, And it was the first time I had sung with an electric backing for a start. And Mm. it's pretty irresistible once you've done that. You know, it's it's quite a different feeling from recording, say, with early instruments or with, with, you know, strings. wonderful um i'm jolly glad i made it i mean you know there was a bit of uh, some people didn't like it because you know shirley collins shouldn't sing with a, an electric band you know horror <laughs> but i loved yeah, it so somebody else got somebody else got guff for that once <laughs> what was it oh, oh they got um, guy from um, minnesota yes no I, I think i met him once <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I, 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 you know, I did meet him when he first came to London um, at the Troubadour Coffee Bar. And uh, there was another American singer who also wore cowboy hat and boots called Rambling Jack Elliott. And um, sure. so Bob came down. This was in the very, very early days before anybody knew him. And he sang a couple of songs and he sloped off to the, the toilets to, <laughs> to smoke dope. <laughs> <laughs> On the ground floor of what's 
become known as the English Folk Revival, and it's had an amazing longevity. Com compared to a lot of the music that was made in the 60s, it seems like this music, your music in particular, has endured through many generations, through many trends. Styles come and go, but this music seems to be there from the get-go. And you were part of a, a very vibrant scene. You were one of the first, and then you were, there were people like Fairport Convention and Richard Thompson and Steel Eyes Span and... Shirley, what was uh, what was your take on your peers in that English folk revival scene? Huh? Did that music all resonate for you? Well, yes. I mean, a lot of it pleased me enormously. I, I thought Fairport Convention were wonderful, um, especially the album Legion Leaf, one of the great albums, I think, of, of mm -hmm. you know, all time. I forbid you maidens all that wear gold in your hair to travel to Carter Hall. I mean, I loved the Incredible String Band, although they were very fey and sort of wayward, but you couldn't help but like them, you know. Well, what I think it does, you see, it, it takes us back to perhaps a more innocent time, Although why I say that I don't know because the songs certainly aren't innocent. They deal with all sorts of bloodshed and cruelty and revenge, um, as mm. well as all this sort of idyls of, of you know country life. But I think what it is uh, that actually hooks me onto it is it's its age. You know the way it's lasted. Um, it's it's just a miracle, really. I would love just to, for instance, to be able to trace just one song back from its beginning, you know, right up to the present day and see what journey it took, what path it took, um, you know, how many singers sang it and how they passed it on. It's, it's, it's so romantic. <laughs> Sweet William arose one May morning and dressed himself in we want you to tell us something about the long love between Lady Margaret and you. After a short break, Shirley Collins tells us about traveling through the American South collecting field recordings with Alan Lomax. And later, we review the new records by garage rocker Ty Siegel and the Vancouver duo Japan Droids. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Lady Margaret sat in her own hall door, a combing down her hair. When she saw sweet William come riding by, bringing his new bride home, she first threw down her ivory comb, tied up a long yellow hair, and out of the door went this lady. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And our guest today is the influential English folk singer Shirley Collins. 
After an almost four-decade hiatus, Shirley came back last year with a new album called Lodestar. She's played a big role in musical history, uh, not only with her own work, but traveling throughout the American South in 1959 with Alan Lomax, collecting field recordings to document, often for the first time on tape, unknown musicians working on farms, in prison, singing in church. Those recordings have inspired uh, virtually every folk musician who's followed, not only in the English folk scene, but of course in America with people like Bob Dylan. Take us back, uh, Shirley, if you would, to the very beginning. Meeting Alan Lomax, he's such a legend now, but you knew him as this guy. And the two of you became a team. Well, I had left my home in Hastings at the age of about 18 to travel to London, to go and live in London, where I thought I could find libraries where I could hear, uh, you know, I could find songs that I wanted to sing. And this is the time before I knew about field recordings. Um, we had one or two programmes on BBC radio that used traditional songs. But I was in London and I'd been there for a couple of years when Ewan McColl, the singer, invited me to a party that he was throwing for Alan, who was coming back to London after recording traditional songs in Spain and in Italy in the mid-50s. And at the party, um, there I met Alan. And I, I always tell it the same way because it's the absolute truth, is that I, I took one look at this sort of big burly Texan with his big shoulders and a head of shaggy dark hair, and he reminded me of an American bison, and, and <laughs> <laughs> one of my favourite animals anyway. And um, sure. I just sort of fell in love on the spot, and he seemed to quite like me too. And after... After a little while, um, he asked me if I'd like to, you know, join him, really. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was a wonderful opportunity because then I could really settle down and listen to as many field recordings as, as I could all the time. And it just reinforced my absolute love of this music. Well, Lomax was famous for carting around this uh, heavy <laughs> reel-to-reel tape recorder around the world, recording these artists who who had never been inside a recording studio before and and singing exactly the kind of music that you were fascinated with, these ancient uh, folk songs that go back uh, centuries in, in many cases. Yes. And, and continuing this sort of oral tradition, uh, passing these down from generation to generation. But I, it, it fascinates me, Shirley, that here you are, this young woman traveling with this... Um, you know this this, this living you know historian. <laughs> yes, twenty years older, right? Yes. yes. Um, and you go to like Parchman Farm and all these <laughs> historic sites in the deep American South, which very few Northerners in America had been to, let alone people from overseas. And you're seeing people like Fred McDowell singing. Yes. Uh, well, what kind of uh, impact did that have on you? Oh, that's that's one of the greatest memories of the whole trip, and really one of the the best days of my life. We were recording in Como. We had left the Mississippi State Penitentiary after being there for four or five days, and we travelled up into northern Mississippi. And after a little while, we met Fred there, and or, or his neighbours said that we really ought to hear this man who plays blues. And one evening at about five o'clock, um, we were in the clearing where the, the, the wooden huts, the shacks all around and there were children scratching around in the dust and hens and dogs barking. And out of the little group of trees, 
and into the clearing walked this slight figure carrying a, a guitar and wearing his work dungarees. And he just came over and, you know, we were then introduced to Mississippi Fred McDowell. And he sat down and just played, I think it was 61 Highway was the first tune he played. And it was just so wonderful. And the guitar was such a metallic sound. I was just so thrilled by it. And even when I think about it today, it still gives me goosebumps. Lord, 61 Highway Lord, that's 61 highway, deep and long road I know. She ran from New York City, running right by my baby door. And Alan wrote just one word at the end of that performance in his notebook. He wrote the word perfect, and so it was, and... What a what a wonderful opportunity that was for me. Nobody else was there except Alan and me, and uh, it was just wonderful. I must just go back though, because you said people who'd never been inside a studio. Of course, they they weren't taking into studios then um, either. You know, all mm-hmm. the all the recordings are made either in people's homes or or outside um, in the fresh air. They are you know genuine field recordings. Uh, surely, uh, from the sociological aspect. What did this big, burly Texas bison and this, this, this uh, uh, well-heeled woman from the English countryside, was it difficult talking to uh, convicts in the rural south, to sharecroppers, to hill people, what, what we'd call in America, uh, or, or was it just the music that brought you guys together instantly? It was partly that. Listen, I'm not well healed. Um, <laughs> I was a working okay. class. <laughs> I was a working class girl from a little seaside town in in, in Sussex. No, no, but, <laughs> I, I meant I meant I meant so sweet and lovable. Oh, thank you. you. Know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm. because. I came from the right class. I was the same sort of people that they were, only much younger and not experienced. There was that in all of them actually that reminded me of my grandparents for a start. So you know, I just felt reassured by that and honestly they were the most lovely people to meet they were hospitable and gentle-mannered and really pleased to hear you know to meet someone from England as well especially in the mountains where um, you know most of the music had come from from England anyway taken over by the settlers you know two three hundred four hundred years back and they were just thrilled to to meet somebody from what they called the old country who knew their songs as well because I was able to sing versions of their ballads back to them. Do you know Train on the Island? I used to. Can you pick me up on? Train on the Island. These boys have got all pitted up now, they're going to knock me out. They're ganging up on you. I think it was just because I loved them so much and I found them so easy and so pleasant to be with. That's all I can say, really. It just felt sort yeah. of, in a yeah. way, like, like being at home. Uh, were there any other highlights besides uh, that incredible encounter with Fred McDowell? There's one terrifying moment in Kentucky, um, just outside the town of Blackie, where we 
recorded an outdoor prayer meeting of um, of Baptists, some of them primitive hard shell Baptists, and one of the preachers just refused. I mean, we'd lugged four batteries, heavy batteries, and the recording machine up the mountainside to to record this meeting. And one of the preachers stood up and he said, um, he said, I ain't never preached to no phones before. And he said, I ain't going to start now. And he said, if they don't take them, you know, I'm not going to say a single word more till them things is gone. And so we had to dismantle the whole thing. But Alan had been given for this trip um, the, one of the first two miniature tape recorders. It was about the size of a loaf of bread, though, from Nagra, the Swiss, the Swiss company. Um, and he said, sit under the bank and record this man. I want him recorded. So I thought, well, who am I more scared of? Is it Alan or the preacher? So I went down to the... <laughs> I sat under the bank, and, but I was so nervous that instead of pressing the record button, I pressed a play button, and his voice just boomed out from where I was sitting. And I ran back down the mountainside to the car and thinking, I was, you know, that all hell was going to break loose. And I stayed there a couple of hours before I dared go back. Um, and by the time I did, uh, things were sort of normal again and uh, Alan was allowed to continue to record. The other person, apart from Fred, that I really did love best was Almeida Riddle, the Ozark singer. She was one of the finest ballad singers I had ever heard in my life, with a, an amazing repertoire of songs and that high, lonesome mountain style of singing that's, you know, so compelling to listen to and, and so, so sad in its way. Um, it just shows, I think, the harshness of, of how people's lives were in the mountains. Oh, Tilda, you are not alone with you I was destined to mourn for like you once I had a mate and with you now I mourn my fate. How old was she when you guys encountered her? Oh, she was in her f- f- late 50s, early 60s when we met her. But she, her story was that um, she'd lost her husband. There's a tornado belt of, of America, of course. And she had lost her husband in a tornado. And in a second one, her house had been blown away. But in within the house she had kept a box that held a book in which she'd written the words of all the songs she knew, but the book was lost as well. That was blown away in the tornado. And Almeida said she never had the heart to to write them out again. So I thought that was particularly moving, really. But she still had all Mm -hmm. the songs, of course, by heart, so that um, we were able to record many of them. And and, uh, she was just such a lovely woman. And, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you. I mean, practically everybody we met was was just so different from English people. You know, they're more outgoing and full of these, full of music as well. Mm. 
Charlie, you quit recording after developing dysphonia. Um, th- that's this chronic vocal condition that prevented you from singing, which had to be hell for someone who loves to sing. And that was a burden for decades. Now, finally, last year, we got a new album, Lodestar, uh, pretty much your first serious musical offering since you lost your voice in the late 70s, right? That's absolutely right. Um, the last album I made was with my sister Dolly in 1978, and since mm-hmm. then, nothing. Why now? And what was the inspiration? What got you back into the recording studio? Well, after so many years of not singing and not feeling that I was the real Shirley Collins, I I always wanted to sing again after I had lost my voice, but um, I just kept losing my nerve. And then one day, about 20 years ago, um, a musician called David Tibet of Current 93 uh, phoned me up and said he'd like to come and talk to me because he liked my old recordings so much. And over the 20 years of friendship with that, um, he kept trying to persuade me to sing. And then when it came to it, I couldn't do it. But then just 18 months ago, he asked again if I'd sing um, a couple of songs in London at his concert. And I said yes. And this time I actually turned up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. much a surprise to me as to him, I think. Um, and... It was so nicely received, you know, it was a very warm audience and they seemed pleased to to hear me again. And then things just sort of snowballed after that and we recorded it um, over the last couple of years in my cottage in in Sussex, in my front room. Um, And it was a great experience. There was a rich lady from London, she came And she was called Pretty Sally, Pretty Sally by name Her riches was more than a king could possess Her beauty was more than her wealth at its best Your song selection, uh, very much in keeping with your history, (laughs) some as old as the 16th century, I mean, what was this thinking in, in, in the repertoire for this record? Well, th- there were some songs that I've, I'd always wanted to sing, um, always hoped that one day I would again. But I, I've always been fascinated by the age of this music um, and the way it's travelled, you know, from, from England to America to the Ozarks and the Appalachians. Um, it's just ap- absolutely fascinating and quite remarkable, I think, that the songs you know, stay alive that long just passed down by ordinary people who learn the songs by heart and then sing them to you know the next generation of people. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I know there are quite a few rather bloodthirsty songs on this album, but when I come to think <laughs> well, um, when I come to think about it, you know it's possibly no more than the first five minutes of a violent action film, is it really? And I do remember the day that Ian Keary, the producer, came bursting through my front door rubbing his hands and he said, Right, what's the body count for today? <laughs> 
Yeah, you, you seem like such a nice lady, Shirley. I am. I and am. Yet, oh. <laughs> I'm extremely nice, and I'm extremely cheerful. So he tied a napkin round her head, and he tied it so gently, and then throwed her overboard along There is a lot of mayhem and <laughs> and cruelty and violence in this in this uh, music, uh, these ancient songs that have gone back centuries. You've got a song called "Cruel Lincoln," that has been around for centuries. Yes. It's uh, "Cruel Lincoln" is not a very lovable character. Um, well, can I explain why he's not lovable? Um, and that's because mm-hmm. he was a mason who mm-hmm. built uh, a manor house for his lord and didn't get paid. And he's out for revenge. <laughs> right, right. And he extracts a terrible revenge. And he does, <laughs> so. yes. I mean, he goes over the top. There was blood in the kitchen. There was blood in the hall. There was blood in the parlor where the lady did fall. But, you know, that's how it is. And, I mean... Lord knows we live in a, in a world of violence, you know, and, and wretchedness today as well. Uh, there's no change there, really, is there? But mm-hmm. what's incredible about the songs is they're attached to such beautiful tunes. So that mm-hmm. slightly sort of ameliorates the, the horror of it, but in another way, it sort of intensifies the horror of it. Was the joy the same, Shirley, uh, singing, you know, in, in your parlor in Sussex? Did it inspire you the way it used to? It's a whole different thing now. Um, you know, my voice is that much older and it's it's dropped as well. It's lower. The joy was when it was finished, really, and I could listen to a playback and think that's acceptable. But it wasn't mm. the sort of carefree singing that I always used to be able to do before, before I lost my voice. Um, you know, you just opened your mouth and you sang and that was it. And now I have to sort of think about the songs as I sing them. But in a way, I think that sort of adds some sort of intensity to them. A 34, 35-year wait, essentially, uh, Shirley, for Lodestar. Uh, are we going to get uh, another offering, do you think, sooner than that? <laughs> You'd better, otherwise I'll be singing from the grave. <laughs> We have been honored to uh, speak to uh, Shirley Collins all the way from England. Uh, Shirley, uh, thank you so much for being our guest on Sound Opinions. Thank you, Greg, and thank you, Jim. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. What's your opinion on Shirley Collins and the English folk revival? Let us know by calling our hotline, 888-859-1800. When we come back, we'll share our thoughts on the new albums by Japan Droids and Ty Siegel. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That is a little bit of Near to the Wild Heart of Life, the opening track and title song on the new album from Japan Droids, their third studio effort. Greg, it comes after a, a, a few years' break, uh, not as long a break as Shirley Collins, but many people had thought uh, Japan Droids was not going to be returning to the road or recording. We were big fans of the group from the beginning, came together in Vancouver, Brian King, guitarist, and David Prowse, a monstrous drummer, just the two of them, came together in 2006. There were a series of EPs, and then in 2009, they made a big splash in the indie rock world with that first album, Post Nothing. We sat down with them uh, for an interview and a live performance in 2012 when they were touring behind the aptly titled Celebration Rock. And now comes album number three. Uh, What are they giving us? We're going to play a track, and of course, we'll come back and give our opinions and rate it on the buy it, try it, trash it scale. This is uh, part of a much longer song in the center of the album called Arc of Bar by Japan Droids from Near to the Wild Heart of Life on Sound Opinions. That is Arc of Bar from the new Japan Droids album, Near to the Wild Heart of Life. Uh, That song, I don't know if the listeners out there loved what they were hearing, but uh, it goes on for about seven and a half minutes, which is about uh, four more minutes than I would have liked. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, it cuts to the heart of what I think is the problem with this record. I loved uh, Celebration Rock. That was not only an aptly named record when it came out in 2012, it lived up to its billing in, in so many ways, and then seeing him live was equally uh, celebratory. I mean, uh, rock, R, spelled R-A-W-K. I mean, these guys hmm. delivered uh, rock. You know, we keep going through these periods, Jim, where, where people say, oh, rock is dead. Nobody rock cares about is guitars. Dead, they said. Yes, and Japan Droids kind of reminded us, uh, no, it's not. It's, uh, it's alive and well, as long as we can play these riffs and shout these choruses uh, at the top of our lungs. It was an exuberant record. Uh, Near to the Wild Heart of Life um, borrows some elements from that record. It should. I mean, they, they wrote it. But at the same time, they try to advance um, and, and, and innovate. And these guys aren't really innovators. I think when they try to experiment, uh, they, they fall short. There's a song called I'm Sorry for Not Finding You Sooner. Um, and it sounds gimmicky from the get-go with that uh, distorted vocal. It's a, it's almost like a vocoderized vocal mm. uh, on that track. I, I don't understand why they would want to uh, filter his very unfiltered feelings uh, through such a device.
there's only two moments on this record that echo the power, the celebratory power of the uh, of the previous record, the title track and that track, No Known Drink or Drug. But otherwise, I feel like this is a, at best a transitional album for this group. I think they realize they can't keep cranking out records as good or as inspired as Celebration Rock Forever. They've got to move on. They want to mature, quote unquote, uh, but they haven't got there with this record. This is a try it record at best. I think you're uh, unduly grouchy today, Mr. Cott, um, because I like this record, and I like this record uh, despite the fact that there is an awful lot of Bruce Springsteen and Hold Steady, kind of barroom sage poet heart of America, although but not as good. Canadians. But I think uh, Japan Droids get it just right. You got to listen to a song like "In a Body Like a Grave," uh, you know, and and they're they're singing about you know Christ will call you out. School will deepen doubt, work will sap the soul, hometown haunts what's left. Three years between albums, they're eager to return to rock. Uh, I, I think there was some question about whether they'd come to an end. Certainly when we sat with them, uh, the two gentlemen had a little bit of a, some problems with each other, Brian and David. Uh, and it wouldn't have surprised anybody if there were no more Japan droids. But I think they missed it. I think they missed being stuck at home. This is an album about wanting to leave home. As such, it is a million times better than Born to Run. I I like the experimentation, a little bit of synthesizer, a little bit of acoustic guitar combined with that wallop of of the two of them. And and it just has to be said, can't be said enough, David Prowse is one of the best drummers in rock today. I like this album. It's a buy it album for me, Uh, not the crummy try it you gave it. Break a Guitar from Ty Siegel's self-titled new album. Uh, self-titled album from Ty Siegel. It's almost like a joke. Like, how many albums has this guy got to put out? He's running out of titles, so he self-titled it. A, sec- a this, second record. This is the this is second, second self-titled among nine studio albums, and that's a conservative count. Extremely prolific artist. Grew up in uh, Southern California. Typical skateboard surfer kid growing up listening to Black Flag and Red Cross. Then moved to San Francisco, and that's where the change occurred in terms of his listening tastes and what kind of music he wanted to make for a living. I uh, started getting into psychedelic music big time. When he started studying at the University of San Francisco, he started studying the music of the 13th Floor mm. Elevators, the great psychedelic innovators from Texas in the 60s, and then soon met John Dwyer, the kingpin of the San Francisco underground scene, the leader of the OCs, a great band out of that city, and uh, had a record label named Castle Face Records, which released Siegel's first self-titled album in 2008. Siegel's only 29 and he has released dozens and dozens of records with bands like Traditional Fools, Party Fell, Perverts, Fuzz. Typically, on his own projects, he's a one-man studio band playing most or all of the instruments and then goes out on tour with a band. Now, with the Ty Siegel self-titled album, he's basically recorded it with his touring band, which includes a very fine songwriter in his own, own right, Michael Cronin, 
on bass. We're going to review the results in a second, but here's a track from the self-titled Ty Siegel record, Orange Color Queen on Sound Opinions. Wake me up, wake me up before you go to the other side of the world that we all know. That is Orange Color Queen by Ty Siegel from the album Ty Siegel, the second one. It's a buy it record. I sometimes have a little bit of Ty Siegel fatigue. I was like, well, here's the second or third album this year. I wonder if it's going to be any good. Then I listened to it, and it's good. He has not made a bad record, but this one, I would say, is extraordinary. Many reviewers are saying this is a greatest hits collection by Ty Siegel, of all new material, which <laughs> sounds silly, but I understand uh, what they mean. Uh, of the many incarnations, of the many uh, strains of his music that he follows, uh, there's the kind of Mark Bolan glam rock thing. There is the uh, sad, lonely, weird, psychedelic troubadour, Sid Barrett or Skip Spence thing. Uh, and then, of course, there's the fiery, full-on garage rock epic 13th Floor Elevators was a good uh, signpost that you mentioned. This shows him in those different incarnations all in one place at one time from song to song. I particularly love Orange Color Queen. Uh, rare for Ty Siegel, it's uh, it's a love song to his girlfriend, Danae, uh, who has orange hair. <laughs> you know, And he has developed this fear of flying. Given that he's on the road like nine months out of the year, uh, that's, that's a bad thing to wrestle with. And his Orange Color Queen saves him every time. What a touching love song. Definitely an enthusiastic Buy It album. Well, Ty Siegel, you know, it can be up and down. I mean, when you're releasing that many albums in a year, you know, you're going to love some more than others. Um, and this is one of those to love. Uh, to me, it is the most song-focused and diverse record uh, in his catalog, uh, alongside Manipulator, a great record that, that he put out in too. 2014. This is right up there with that one. If someone were to come to me and say, okay, I'm looking at this discography and I'm scared already, where do I start? I'd point him to this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, as you said, Jim, it, it is almost like a, a greatest hits of new songs. To me, the, the thing that stands out is somebody who can do something like The Only One, which is basically a Black Sabbath tribute, <laughs> except with two guitars up front instead yeah, of just one, yeah. uh, to something like Talkin', which is basically a an almost laid-back, ambling country tune, uh, that's a that's a pretty broad range of music, and yet yeah. make it all sound of a piece. Or, or take care to comb your hair. Take care 
to brush your long hair when you can't brush it any longer it might just disappear what what a perfect 1967 summer of love san francisco little well, ditty i i'd go i i'd say sid barrett maybe too you know that sort yeah. of whimsical folky fairy tale if kind sid of barrett, imagery if sid barrett was the fifth mama and the papas you're sounding like a rock critic more and more every day. Did I tell I, you I that? I gotta watch that. Uh, gotta, you know, yeah. but the thing is, he gets dissed a lot for his lyrics because he's not saying anything. But I, I think that song, "Take Care," is actually a veiled ecology anthem. And I, I'll name drop another artist in in the '60s that I know he loves, Arthur Lee of Love. Mm. The way he was able to take these bleak visions and tuck them inside these really beautiful, beautiful songs. Beautiful yeah. songs. I think Ty Siegel does that very well. This is a buy it record. So very enthusiastic double buy its for Ty Siegel. Greg, what do we have on the show? next week. Next week, Jim, we have a show about first impressions. Love at first sight for Valentine's Day. If you've got a suggestion for a song about meeting someone for the very first time, give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Greg, Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Ayana Contreras. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Kyle from Naperville. I downloaded some Yolo Tango since you two won't seem to stop talking about them. And a few days later, I ran into what you would call a happy coincidence. I was playing my whole iTunes library in alphabetical order by name, and Mr. Tuff from Yolo Tango played right into Mr. Sims, the instrumental from John Coltrane, written some 50 years earlier, and the two seemed to flow together like one song. So I had to do a double take and check to see that it was two different songs. then I experimented with Fate there and played periodically double or triple from Yellow Tango, and it played into Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps by Kate. That, too, seemed to match pretty well. You won't admit you love so, am I missing something here? Is uh, Yellow Tango in touch with... Um, the greater universe that uh, I'm missing out on something. Not to mention. Bye. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. A million times I ask you. My name is Brian Hurd from uh, Chicago. Just, just listening to the tail end of that uh, apologies love songs uh, segment, and probably too late. But uh, Sam Cooke immediately came to mind. I thought bringing on home to me is a very interesting take on the category because he basically says, especially if you listen to the live version, uh, go home and wake up your baby if you hear she's been doing something bad and uh, tell her it's all right. One more thing I gotta tell you, listen to me right now, you know that I tried to 
treat you right. What did you do? Oh, you stayed out. You just stayed out late at night. I don't care who you was with. Bring it to me. Bring all that good love and baby. Bring it on. Everybody's with me. Later, guys. Hey, Greg and Jim, this is uh, Charlie from Seattle, and I was listening to your Kraut Rock episode and loved it. And the whole time I was listening to it, I was this song kept ringing in my head, and I couldn't place it until it finally hit me: the Night Rider theme. That song has so many of the elements that you were talking about in Krautrock. And then when you think that David Hasselhoff is in the show and he's huge in Germany, there was so many synergies right there. It all just made sense. And it was a great episode. Really loved it. Thanks so much. Hello, folks. Uh, my name is Matt from Chicago, and I just wanted to say thank you for everything you guys do. I discovered you guys a little under a year ago, and you guys have, I, I love it. My whole life is music. I can't play anything, but my whole life is music. And you guys bring such a depth of knowledge to a field that you don't really get a depth of knowledge of anymore from, like, the general population. So thank you. And uh, if I was stuck on an island, uh, I would probably bring my little Walter... Buddy guy, and uh, more than likely my uh, my Benfold Five uh, and some Green Day. So thanks, bye guys. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.